Uh, man, this is good to be back together. I'm excited for tonight. Uh, I, I like to, at the beginning of every year, just talk about refuge and what it really means. Um, I think we all need reminded of that, myself included. Uh, some of you don't, haven't really heard that before either, but, but those of you that have, that, that you'd be reminded of what refuge is. So we'll talk a little bit about that, of what refuge is, what does that even mean? Um, and then what I want to do this year is, is really be really practical as, as how, even if I believe after we talk a little bit about it, that God is a refuge for me, how do I make him my refuge? Like maybe I even understand and I agree that God is this refuge that I can run to, but, but how do I make him mine in my life, my refuge? Um, and so that's where we're going tonight and talking about. So refuge, wherever you see it whether it's a logo on the screen or on these shirts or on this podium every week, like my hope and my goal is that every time that you see that word, every time that you hear that word, that you will understand who God is in that. Uh, that it would become more than just a word to you, that it would be more than just uh, a representative of, of this youth ministry even, but that it would be all these things that I'm going to tell you in my life that it means. Um, and so I think all of us as human beings, like, we crave security. Uh, because when we feel safe, then everything else in life that we want, I'll, I'll say, can happen. It, nothing's going to happen if you don't feel safe and you're scared and you're worried and you're anxious. Um, then that's like the most, one of the most basic human needs is, is this security, to feel safe. Um, and we seek it in all kinds of ways. So I think about my life and uh, most of the times, like, I don't even begin to, um, for the beginning of my life, didn't even really think about these things that much, right? Um, so let me just start with the definition of refuge. Uh, when I think of refuge, I think of six words. I think of uh, safety, security, uh, satisfaction, and I think of uh, provision, protection, uh, what's the other P? Uh, come on. It'll come to me. Um, but but the, basically it's this idea of this place where I can run and I can be safe, I can be secure, I can be provided for. Uh, peace is the last one. Uh, I can have peace. And because of all those things that I get in this refuge, in this safe place that I can run to when everything else around me is difficult, because of all of those things that it gives me, then I can be fully satisfied in that place as well. And so when I think of refuge, I think of all those things. Uh, again, a place that I can run to, a place that I can experience all of that. And so that's a few, several years ago when we decided to call this place refuge. That that's my hope for here. My hope in a very physical way here on earth is that you have a place, this church, this youth group that you can come to where you feel like, man, I can be me, 100% me, whether that's like I'm really happy this week or I'm really frustrated this week, or I'm really sad this week because this happened. Like, I can just be me, 100% me, and not have to fake anything. And I know I can be safe, and I know I can have peace in this place. I know no matter what's been going on in my life this week, or the past several weeks, that I can enter this place, and I can just kind of have a sigh of relief when I'm in this place. And I know some of you feel that. Like, even when you just walk in this room again, that you can feel that. Uh, and so that's my hope and my goal for naming it that, but then ultimately that in that, that that points you to, like, 
so many things in life that we have these physical representations that aren't meant to end there, but are meant to point us to God and what he really wants in us and for us. And he is that ultimate refuge, not this church and these walls. I hope that the community and the life that you feel in this place, that you would feel that, but that ultimately that that would point you to Jesus. Because he is always accessible for you, even when these doors are closed. That this happens once a week for us, but he's with you all the time. And he can be that refuge at all times for you. And so as I think about my life, as I think about like, okay, I grew up uh, in Ohio. um, And I went to uh, a a smaller school, about the size of Central Heights. I think our high school had 400 students total. Um, And so there's about like 89 people, I think, in my class that I graduated with. Um, and I went to that same school from kindergarten all the way through senior year of high school. So I was in the same private school the whole time. Private school, we wore uniforms, which I hated at first, but then I really liked because I was like, I don't even have to think about what I'm going to wear. I just wear the same uniform all the time. Um, thanks. Uh, and so I just remember growing up, like, so if we're all searching for security, right, and safety, like to feel secure, uh, I think we, we are looking for that, and sometimes you don't even know that you're looking for that. And so when I was younger, again, I didn't think about these bigger picture things. Um, and when I was younger, there wasn't a lot of things in my life that went crazy wrong uh, that made me really want to run for security. I didn't have anybody in my life when I was young die that was close to me. I didn't have any crazy things that happened. My parents were together. They loved me. Uh, they were really supportive of me. Uh, it was a very healthy home in that way that they loved me very, very well. Um, I went to church on Sundays. Uh, things were pretty easy, I'll say, for the most part. And as the older you get, the more you're faced with, like, real-life situations that are hard, that are, um, that are harder to navigate. And so you feel less secure the older you get. Like, if, you, if I watch my kids, so I have five kids, right? Um, my oldest is seven. Uh, and, then my, and then it goes seven, six, four, two, and 11 months this, this month. Um, and kids, like, they're, so, they're totally secure in themselves. Like, they'll say whatever to you. They'll say whatever, and it doesn't bother them. They, you could say stuff to them. They're really, I think they're a lot more secure than most people because they don't have any reason to be insecure uh, until more and more people give them reasons to be insecure when they speak something and they get made fun of. Like, that already happens in school uh, for my kids that, like, they get... They can get made fun of some because of some of the stuff that they do. Uh, maybe people don't want to play with them because of this or that. And already that kind of stuff is creeping in my kids' lives of being insecure about certain things. And so then you start trying to find security. So how does that play out? Well, a lot of times you try to find security in looking like the rest of your friends. Because if I look like the rest of the people, then people won't make fun of me for being different. So I'll just try to be like that. And that obviously can lead all different kinds of places. Um, wherever your friends look like whatever they're doing, uh, you can be doing those same things, making fun of more people, all that sort of stuff. We already have those conversations. It's crazy. My son's seven, and he's in second grade, and we already have those conversations of, like, don't be that guy that just jumps in with all the other guys and makes fun of this kid that's weird, that's not like you, because it destroys people. And so we're already, like, talking about that. Um, but again, why do, why do kids run to that? Because they want to feel secure. They want to feel secure and like, well, not, they're not going to make fun of me if I'm the one making fun of people with them. 
So that makes me more secure. Um, if I can have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, sometimes you find security in that um, and things that, are, that you run to, you know? Like I, uh, I found a lot of security in sports growing up. I really love playing sports and uh, soccer, baseball, basketball were the main ones that I played, but, uh, but I loved that. I found a lot of security and identity in that. And it, I was good at some of those things, so it gave me like these positive outcomes. But even in sports, like there were times when I had jerk coaches that yelled at me uh, and that tore me down. I had times where I didn't play well. I had times where I got hurt. And those things that I, again, when you find your security in that, when it's taken from you, then you freak out a little bit and you're like, oh my gosh, like what am I going to do? And if you have a relationship, I found security in relationships. I, I would be in a relationship and I would find security. Like I get to go to this person at the end of the day. I get to be with this person, and I feel secure in them because I'm kind of letting them in on, on my heart and who I am, and everything's good. And then when that relationship ended, then that security is taken from me. And I kind of freak out again. I'm like, oh, gosh, like, who am I without this person? I felt really secure with them, but I, I felt secure with them, and I kind of let them into my life, and then they uh, dumped me, and then I'm like, whoa, okay, where's my security now? And so all these things in life, and some of you may have experienced a lot of those things. Some of you haven't experienced much of that yet. But we're all going to search for security in our lives, and we're going to run to something to find that. And my, my whole hope and goal for tonight, for, I mean, the rest of your life, that when, but this word, refuge, that there's only one real refuge that can withstand everything. There's only one place that you can actually run to all the time, no matter what time, no matter what part of your life, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are. There's only one place that you can run to that it will stand firm every single time. And that is in Jesus. Everything else will let you down. Everything else will crumble. Anything else you put your security in will be taken from you. If you put it in a relationship, that person's not going to live up to loving you perfectly. It's not going to happen. Even if it's a committed marriage for the rest of your life, they're going to let you down. If it's a sport, eventually you're going to get hurt or you're going to not go pro or even if you do go pro and you're still probably in sports, eventually you're going to get too old and it's not going to be there anymore. School, you're only in school for so long. All, anything that you can put your security in other than Jesus will fail you. And so whether you're in sixth grade or whether you're about to start college, you need to know that truth so that when these times come that you start to freak out and that life is hard, that you know where to run to. When we were singing that song, that's why I love those words of that song so much. That, that I want to run to the hope um, in which I, uh, the hope that is secure, the, 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 where I'm securely found in him. That's the only security, real security, any of us have. And that's what I want you to see tonight, is that, that the only refuge that we can really run to is Jesus. Uh, because you run to all these other things, and again, things either change or they, uh, or they collapse on you. Uh, you know, some of the ones that I think of in my past, like I said, a sports, I, I, I remember sports were a big deal to me, and then, I, then, again, I got hurt one time, I broke my toe, 
playing basketball without shoes on. I told you guys that story once. You might, if you have been coming for a while, you might remember that. Um, my mom told me not to go to this retreat with just sandals on but to wear tennis shoes. And I was like, Mom, you don't know what you're talking about. And I played basketball without any shoes on, and then I landed on top of my toe, and it broke it. And so I was done for the season. And then my mom was like, I told you so. And I was like, dang it. I hate that she's right. That was the, one, that was the part that hurt more than anything else is the fact that she was right. Um, I remember in eighth grade, and maybe I, maybe I should have brought a picture, but I didn't. Um, in eighth grade, I thought it was going to be a really good idea um, because I saw lots of cool people with cool hair. Um, why are you laughing? And I thought I could have that same cool hair, and it didn't matter what the texture of my hair was. But believe it or not, it was, like, kind of cool to have, like, long hair as a guy that was kind of, like, parted down the middle and that I, that, yeah, okay? <laughs> At least I thought it was cool, okay? Um, and I saw some guys that, like, had really nice, like, thin hair. I didn't realize that that mattered at the time. Um, and they would just, like, fling it. It would, like, fling in slow motion, you know? Uh, I was like, man, I'm going to have hair like that. So I decided in eighth grade I was going to grow out my hair. And uh, what I lovingly to my wife called the butt cut now because it's like a seam down the middle. It kind of looks like a butt. Um, and my hair is not like thin or anything. So it just got poofy. And it looked really, really bad. I'll bring a picture. I'll, I'll post a picture to the refuge page and show it, okay? Uh, it was not pretty. But I've, I thought I could find some security in that and very quickly realized that I couldn't. Um, it's funny, like, what we put our security in, like, all these different things, right? All these different things that will fade. Um, we're going to be in Psalm 143 talking about all this. Psalm 143 is a psalm uh, that David wrote. A little bit about David, just so you know. Um, David was this guy that, again, a lot of you probably know a lot of this stuff, but David was a shepherd. Um, and he took care of the sheep, and then he was like this little runt of his family. Um, and then he was told one day when he was pretty young still that he was going to be king. A, a guy came and told him, hey, you're going to be the next king of, of Israel. And told him he was going to be king. But from the time that he got told that he was going to be king and, until he actually became king was about 15 years roughly. So he was told that God was going to make him king of this entire nation. So he was going to be the one that's in control. But that promise of God took 15 years to fulfill. And a lot, majority, I would say, of the Psalms that, that David wrote are in this time period of waiting. And, and what was happening most of that 15 years is that uh, a guy named Saul was trying to kill him a lot of that time. The current king was trying to kill him and was chasing him. And so David had to li literally live in caves and live on the run for a long time, for years. And so when David's writing and when you hear the emotion of David, that's kind of like what's going on in his life. He's running literally for his life uh, in this time of waiting where God promised him this big thing and he was going to be the king of this nation and then he's living in a cave with nothing and hiding in the dark, probably cold, and being like, God, what the heck? <laughs> and so maybe you can relate to him. Maybe some of you have been in experiences where you feel like, I thought things were going to be this way, and then all of a sudden it's way different. And you're like, God, where are you? You, you said you were going to do these things. You said you were going to make these things happen. What, what, what's going on? 
So I want to read it all in its entirety first, uh, 12 verses, and then we'll, we'll talk about it in, in pieces. Uh, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Again, so we're gonna, what we're talking about tonight is not just God as our refuge, but if God is our refuge and he can be our refuge, how, how do I make him mine? Like, how, what are practical steps? Let's just not talk generalities. Okay, yeah, God is a refuge. He's a place that we can run. Well, how do I practically do that in my day-to-day life? And I think David lays out a plan for us in these verses. Uh, and then if you read much of the Psalms, you see a lot of this pattern over and over again in, the, in what David writes. Um, almost always, David starts this, so it's a, for those of you that like to take notes or like to do stuff like that um, and need an outline, uh, there's four steps to this of how to make God your refuge. There's four main points that I'm gonna make. The first one is crying out to God. Like if you read most of what David writes, he's, he cries out to God first. He, so he cries out, he pours out all of his emotion to God. That's one of the things I love about David uh, is that you see he's a very real person. If you read through the Psalms, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He doesn't uh, try to say the right words that sound the most churchy to get God to pay attention to him. He just speaks what's on his mind and what's in his heart. And usually he spends the first part of his writing just pouring everything that's in him out all of his emotions, how he feels about it. So uh, specifically in this case, that's like the first four verses. Uh, he says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me, my heart within me is appalled. So again, remember where David's at. He's in a point of his life where people are pursuing him, trying to kill him, um, and he cries out to God. And he starts out addressing God, like, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to me. So he says, listen, please. Uh, he has these pleas for mercy, have mercy on him, and, and change what's going on, essentially. But he also is humble in all of us, and he says, he doesn't say that he deserves anything. He doesn't say that he deserves God to move, because he says, for no one living is righteous before you. So he knows his place still. He knows that none of us deserve the mercy of God. None of us deserve him to love us perfectly. None of us deserve him to set us free from anything that's going on in our life. But he's pleading for him. So he's saying humbly, 
I know I don't deserve any of this, but you are good, and because you're good, and because of your righteousness, not because of anything that I am doing to earn this, but because you are good, God, act in my life and change this. So all of us need to start there as we're crying out. As you cry out what's going on in your life, whatever is difficult in your life, one, cry out to him. Don't just cry out to your friend or your parents. Like, those things are good, but make sure you're crying out to him, the creator of everything, and pour out your heart to him. And not just in fake ways where you say, like, hey, I kind of want this. Like, be real with him. He can handle it. He's the creator of everything. He's the creator of your heart. He can handle if you're upset. He can handle if you're mad, if you're angry. He can handle it. So give him everything. Cry out everything to him in your emotion, what's going on, and, and, and why you're frustrated, why you're angry, why you're sad. In humility, like he said, like, I know I don't deserve for you to step in, but do it because you're good. Because of your righteousness. And then he talks about the enemy. The enemy has pursued my soul Another word for that, he has harassed his soul, he has persecuted his soul, he has crushed his life, shattered it, beat it to pieces, is how he would describe it. That The enemy has beat his life to pieces. He feels like his life is shattered. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. It's like he's in the grave and there's death. Like that's how, this is how he's describing where he's at. He said, my spirit faints within me. My spirit is overwhelmed. My heart within me is appalled or horrified or devastated. And so that's all of his emotion that he's getting out, right? Here's the problem. Most people stay there. Most people know that if you know you can turn to God and you tell him everything that's in your, in your life that's going on and you tell him all these emotions, some of you do that. And you're like, Danny, it just doesn't work. Like, there's nothing that happens. It, it, and I, my guess would be is that you're staying right there. And you're staying in this, in this spot where you're just giving him emotions, giving him emotions, giving him emotions. And that's good, but that's just the first step. If you stay there, you're going to stay there. This is what happens when you let your emotions lead and you just let them keep you in that spot. Then you'll stay more depressed and more hopeless and more frustrated and more angry. Because th- my, my assumption is what happens is you cry out and you say, God, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. Please change it. And then you just sit and wait. And then nothing happens. And so you get more frustrated with God. And the next time other stuff is going on in your life, you kind of tell him everything, tell him everything, tell him everything. And you just wait. And then you get more frustrated and you just get more and more frustrated with God. And then you just stop talking to him altogether. Look at what David does next in verse 5. So he, he does. He spent time, man, really pouring it out there and being honest and being up front, giving everything that he's got. But then he, there's this key transition in verse 5. He says, I remember the days of old. I meditate in all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. So he does not stay in his feelings. He has feelings. They're valid. He speaks them. But then he, in verse 5, and in lots of the, the Psalms that David writes, he shifts, he shifts his focus to the truth. So number one is you gotta cry out to God, not just people around you, but cry out to God everything that's going on in your life. And then number two, you need to shift your focus to the truth. So cry out all of those emotions and what you're feeling, but then shift your focus to the truth. 
That's what he does. He says, I remember the days of old. He thinks back to what God has done. So if you've been following God even for a little bit of time, think back to what you've seen God do in your life. Think back to the truth of who God is and how you've seen him act. Think back to the truth of who God is in Scripture and what he's done to move on, the behalf, on behalf of his people. Spend time thinking about who God is, what he has done in the days of old. Remember that. Meditate or reflect on all that God has done, both currently in the past, in Scripture, in your own life, in the, in your, in the past, in your own life. What you've seen him do in other people's lives. And he says, I ponder, or I th- when I looked up that word, ponder, it had both the, both the idea of thinking and speaking. Thinking and speaking of the work of his hand. So, so thinking about and talking about the things that he has done. So, so again, David, you see the shift in a lot of his psalms. He, he cries out, he has all these emotions, but he doesn't stay in his emotions. He goes from all of his emotions to truth. And most of the time, he speaks specific truth. A lot of time, he speaks specific truth over the lies that he's believing. Uh, he goes on to say, I stretch, out, uh, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like parched land. Even that verse, my soul thirsts for you. I think David is speaking that truth, that out of all the things that David longs for, he probably longs to be king. He longs to be out of a cave. He longs for like a bed maybe. But he knows ultimately, and this truth that he speaks into this situation is that ultimately what he really, really longs for deep down is God himself. And so you may long to get out of the situation that you are in. You may long for relief from that. But what we all long for, and, and, and the whole reason that we all run to find security, we, we long for him. What we're actually longing for, and this is the truth that he is speaking now, is that despite all of my emotions, what I'm really longing for, my soul actually thirsts for you like a parched, exhausted, weary land. Like that, that, those times if you've ever been so thirsty, you're like, I'll, I'll just drink anything, please give me something. Like that's what he uses to describe his longing for God. And again, very openly and honestly, he says, answer me quickly. I, like, I don't want you to wait on this. Answer me quickly because my spirit fails, because he knows he's weak. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go for you. to you I lift up my soul. And he says, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. He needs to be reminded of the love of this God that he's following, a love that's immovable, a love that's firm, a love that can't be separated, a love that's unfailing, a love that's perfect, a love that's patient, a love that's kind, a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Even in the middle of this cave, in this middle of this time of waiting to actually be the king, that he would rest in the truth that this is a God who loves him, that even in that cave, that, he is, that God is in control and he sees him and he loves him and he's working on something that he needs to do. And even though David have to, has to wait in this crappy place, it's not because God doesn't love him. 
God loves him. And he still got him, and he still has this plan, and he's still going to fulfill this promise that he gave him. So for you, whatever that cave is, whatever that frustrating place is, whatever that hard time in life is, whether you're in the middle of one right now or it's going to be that, that, that in the future, that you have this refuge to run to, and how do you make God your refuge? You cry out to him all the emotions that you're feeling, and then you speak truth over those, those things that you're feeling. But again, what do you have to do in order, what, what do you have to know in order, you have to know truth in order to be able to speak truth over the things going on in your life. You have to know who God is. And if you don't, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to speak truth over these things that are going on in your life. And it's good to have some people that can speak truth to you, but you also need to know truth yourself so you can speak it to yourself constantly. These truths that, and it's always these same basic truths that I run back to, that God, you're in control. Because when I'm anxious, what do I feel like? I feel like, man, I'm, not, I'm out of control. Everything's out of control. Everything's spinning out of control. God, you're in control. If, everything's, if there's things wrong in life, what do I think? I think I doubt if God loves me. So I speak that truth to myself. God, you love me. And I know all this scripture that, that shows that God loves me. That he gives the people of Israel time and time again, chance after chance after chance, because he loves them. That in scripture, he says that all those things that I just said, that his love is patient, that it's kind, that it believes all things, that it hopes all things, that it endures all things. That his love can never, like once I trust in him, that love can never be separated from me. From anything. That once I'm his, I'm his. No matter what's going on around me. And that he loves me perfectly, that he's still in control, that he's never out of control, that he's always always fully knowledgeable of everything that's going on. That he's never caught off guard, that he's never surprised at your situation. That it's not like anything can happen in your life. He's like, oh gosh, I didn't see that coming. He saw it coming. And that should give you peace. (laughs) Because if he is really in control, and he is more powerful than anything else, and he is limitless, and he does know everything that's going on in your life. And he knows everything that's going to happen in your life. And all those things and all those characters, characteristics of God are true. Then that should bring you a ton of peace. Because what's that saying? It's saying that, like it says in Romans, that if he is for you, who can be against you? If he is for you and you are his, there's nothing that you're going to face that's too much for him. It will be too much for you but it won't be too much for him to handle. That's why we have to run to him because it's not too much for him. He is sturdy. He can withstand whatever it is in life that you're gonna run run into. And that's why stuff like, uh, and I say this all the time in here, uh, when people say, man, God will never give you more than you can handle. Just chew on that. It'll just help you through everything. God will never give you more than you can handle. Like, it sounds really good. It sounds kind of encouraging, but it's a lie. God will always give you more than you can handle so that you will run to him. And if you believe that lie, because a lot of times it comes from church people and maybe even a church stage that you've heard a pastor say that before. But if you believe that lie that God will never give you more than you can handle, that's not in scriptures, that's just somebody's opinion. 
If you believe that lie, then what do you think? Well, if this is so hard and this is so crazy, like I saw my sister put this on Facebook before, then he must think I'm really strong because he knew I could handle this. And what does it make you do? It makes you try to handle everything on your own and you become your own savior, which is the opposite of the gospel. He will give you all kinds of stuff in your life that is too hard for you to handle so that you run to him and run to this refuge that is solid, that is firm, that will withstand everything. He doesn't want us to fight it on our own. He doesn't want us to try to think that we have it all together. And that is truth. That is truth that I need to remember. I love that he even says in verse 8, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. He says, like, as soon as my day starts, make sure that I hear truth because I know immediately in my day, as soon as I wake up, I'm going to be hit with a whole ton of lies that I'm going to be really tempted to believe. So give me your truth in the morning that you love me, that you're in control of this day, that you're in control of this school year. And he says, make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. We need his direction. We're so misguided on our own when we just try to take life our own direction. We need him to lead us. We need him to show us the way to go. And again, David's being really honest. He's like, man, I, don't, I can't do this on my own. I don't even know which way to go on my own. Like, I need you to show me. People are literally coming after my life and trying to kill me. Like, I just... I need you to show me. I can't make these decisions on my own. I need to hear from you. I need your truth. And then the third step in verse 9. So you cry out to God. You give him all your emotions. You give him everything that's going on. And then you shift your focus to the truth and to what is true of you what is true of God, who he is. Just rattle that off. Like that's what I do a lot of times when I'm praying is just rattle off who God is, all these attributes about him that I know, what I've seen him do in the past, the truth of what my soul is actually searching for, and just how much he really does love me. It seems to be one that we all doubt. And then the next step, run, run to him. So not only do I cry out and do I shift my focus to the truth, but that I would legitimately run toward him because you can cry out and you can know truth but not run toward it you can know truth and ignore it so actually making steps to run to him as your refuge and trying to to quit surviving on your own but run into this thing that's so solid that will always stand so what do we I mean we, we run to something when life happens and things get hard you're going to run to something you can run to him ultimately as your refuge, or you can run to a relationship that, sure, it might help you for a while, but then what happens when that relationship is done? You might run to school. You might run to sports. You name it. Again, if you run to those things, yeah, that might help for a little while. It might numb the pain. It might numb the fact that your parents are split up. And you can run to some things to make that numb. You can run to alcohol. You can run to sex. You can run to pornography. You can run to all those things. And that's what's tempting is Satan makes those things look really good and really appealing. 
and says, like, yeah, this is what you need. This will make you better. You can run to this, and it will make you feel secure. But those are lies. And if you don't know the truth, then you don't recognize the lies. And you run to those things, and then those things will collapse, and then you'll be left worse off than you were to start with. So crying out, shifting our focus to the truth, and then actually running to him. He says, deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. I'm coming to take cover in you, Jesus. I need you. I need your word. I need your truth. And so I'm going to go that direction. And I need you to rescue me, to save me, to deliver me. I'm not going to walk there. I'm not going to like, well, maybe I'll go that direction. I'm not going to jog there. I'm going to run to you because I need it that bad. Is what David decides to do. In verse 10, he says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So even that truth that he's speaking, one, he's saying, teach me. I need you to teach me. Any, any truth that I don't know, anything that I'm missing, teach me those things. I need you to lead me to do your will. And then the key to doing that is he's going to submit to God. He's going to say, hey, I'm giving you my life. I'm going to submit. You just show me, and I'm going to do it. Again, that's where some people stop. Maybe they even see where God is calling them. They know that God would want me to go this direction over this direction. You would, a lot of you know that. A lot of you know, like, if, if, if this is God really leading, he wants me to go this direction, but I really want to go this direction. And the people that are really going to make God their refuge are going to pick his direction more than you pick your own. Why? Trusting that his spirit is good, and it's going to lead you to level ground. You have to believe that truth. Again, it comes back to more truth in your life, that you would believe that the spirit of God is good, and that every time that I follow the spirit of God, every time that I follow God, he's going to lead me to good things, things that are good, things that are true, things that are solid, things that are level ground that I can stand on and not be shaken. Not one time in there, or spoiler alert for the rest of, rest of Scripture, it's not in there either. Uh, not one time does it say he's going to make it easy. He said he's going to lead you places that are good, that are solid, that are level. He doesn't say that you're going to lead you places and paths that are easy. In fact, a lot of times in Scripture it says it's going to be a more narrow path and it's going to be a harder path, but it's going to be the best one. Things that are life-giving, things that are truth, things that are solid, most of the time aren't the easiest ones. So we need to run to him and actually move in the direction toward him. Again, I think the easiest way to do that, like the best way to be running toward him and toward what he wants in my life is to know his voice. Scripture uses that illustration of God as a shepherd and that we are sheep and that the sheep know their shepherd's voice. Um, you can YouTube uh, sheep listening to a shepherd and you'll see like a shepherd can call his sheep. I showed it last year. Uh, a shepherd can call a sheep like anybody else can call those sheep and they won't come and then the shepherd actually calls the sheep. He even, even like I saw a video where he like told the people call him like this because this is how I call him. And they called and they called and called and the sheep didn't come at all. And then he calls and like the first time that he calls, they all come running. Because the sheep know the shepherd's voice. 
well, how do you know his voice? The, the, you know his voice by, how do you know your friend's voice? Do you know your friend's voice on the phone over anybody else? Probably. You know your parent's voice over on, the, on the phone? If you, I don't know, maybe people don't talk on the phone at all anymore. It kind of defeats that illustration. You can't know somebody's text. Um, but I can recognize my family's voice, right? I can recognize my friend's voices apart from other people. You can probably in your life still, right? But there's some people, like, I don't know all of your circle of friends that you know, and so I wouldn't even be able to tell that this person was, was them just by their voice because I don't know them. But if you know them, then you know their voice. So if, if you know God and you really know him, then you're going to know his voice. What's the best, quickest, easiest way? I'll say quickest, like, it takes time, like any relationship. But if I, if I know this, I'm going to know his voice. The more that I know this, and I'm not just talking like intellectually reading this and memorizing this. I'm talking like the more that I see this and read this and, and study this, the more that I see the character of God in this, the more that I see the way his heart is and what his heart is for, the more I get to know who God is. The more I spend time with him, the more I pray and spend time talking to him in that way, the more I've gotten to know God. And the more that I trust him, uh, and the more that I trust him, the more that I hear his voice even more. And then when I hear his voice, when I know his voice, and I fully believe in my life that I know the voice of the Lord in my life, then when I hear him speak and I, then I know it's him, then my choice is, okay, do I say yes to you or not? For some of you, you don't even know the voice of God because you haven't spent a lot of time with him. So you have to start there. But eventually you will. If you spend time with him, you'll get to know his voice. It's like you know the voice of your friends. And then the challenge becomes not, not, just, not as much distinguishing his voice, but once you hear him speak, saying yes or saying no to him. So know God, know his voice, and then, and then just say yes. No matter how crazy or how normal, say yes. Because you believe that he's going to lead you good places. And then the last thing. Cry out to him, shift your focus to the truth, run to him as your refuge, and then praise and thank him. That's something that David does almost all the time at the end of his psalms as well. He's, he just praises God, he thanks him. Uh, in the last few verses here, he says, For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. But then he talks about these things that he very confidently believes are going to happen. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. And so there's praising and there's thinking in that statement even, that he's confidently, he knows God well enough that he says, like, I know you're going to do this because you're a God that's going to keep your promises. And you promise that I'm going to be king. And if I'm going to be king, then you're going to remove these adversaries from me so that I can be king. Because he knows the character of God. One thing, my sweet Annabelle, um, Annabelle's four. She's really crazy. I love that about her. For some reason, like, I mean, definitely a, over a year ago, so maybe when she was, like right when she turned three, maybe a little bit before that, every time that we prayed together at night, she would pray for the rainbow. She just really likes rainbows, I guess. And she said, and she even now, like every night, she says, Daddy, don't forget to pray for the rainbow. And I was like, all right. And she always asked me to pray for rainbows. And, and every time I do, I always say the same thing. And I, I say, God, thank you for the rainbow that reminds us that you always keep your promises. And that you're always good. And that we can always trust you. And so it's funny because like, I think 
I think even in that, like, I think my, my daughter really liked to pray for that, and I think she really wants that, but I think God even did that for me in a lot of ways. That every time I pray that, every time that I see a rainbow now, like, I think he always gives his promises, always. And so he did a lot in my heart, just through my little girl, like, what she wanted me to pray with her, you know? But that's what he's showing us, that he, what he promises will always happen. There's nowhere else in life that that happens in, for any of us. Even the best parents break their promises. Uh, this week, um, I mean, we broke some promises. Uh, well, by we, I mean the tooth fairy broke promises. Um, that we heard from the tooth fairy that she was supposed to come and... The tooth fairy didn't come two nights in a row because the tooth fairy forgets stuff sometimes, you know. And I told my son, I was like, sorry, bud, the tooth fairy forgets stuff sometimes. And I think sometimes she's like so crazy flying around that maybe she like ran into something and broke her own teeth. But she's got plenty back at the place, so she went and got them and fixed them. She'll probably be, she'll be here tomorrow. And then it didn't happen again. And I was like, ooh, shoot. Uh, she'll be here the next day. She'll make it up to you, you know. Uh, and Tooth Fairy does make stuff up to people, just so you know. He gets to, uh, instead of get one thing from Dollar Tree, he gets three things from Dollar Tree. Yeah, it's a good life he lives in our house, okay? Um, and he, Kaylin told me he told her about it today at school. So he's super pumped about that. You may not think that's cool and a big deal, but to him it's a super big deal, okay? Um, point being that any person... Any, anybody in your life is going to let you down. They're never going to keep their promises perfectly. Uh, the God that we serve, the God that put a rainbow in the sky to remind us, he always keeps his promises, always. So the things that he says are going to happen are going to happen. And the things that he promised with him as our refuge is that we could run to him whenever we want. He's always there. He's always secure. He's always worth trusting in. He cannot be shaken. Nothing can overcome him. He will always provide what you need. He will always give you peace if you seek it from him. If you run to him as your refuge... Those are the promises that he makes. Our part is just running to him and choosing to do that and choosing to believe that he's actually trustworthy. So try that this semester. When stuff in life is hard, when stuff around you collapses, cry out to him. Tell him all about it in every way that you need to. Tell him why you're hurting. Tell him why you're angry. Tell him why you're scared. Tell him why you're confused. Tell him everything. But don't stay in those feelings. Choose to run to truth. If you need other people, a lot of times we need other people to point us back to truth. I always say like once a semester I have like a mental breakdown. Uh, and I feel like I suck at everything in life, 
uh, as a dad, as a pastor, as all these things, I just feel like I'm horrible at everything. Usually happens once a semester. And I go to Lauren, and I'm like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And then she speaks all kind of truth over me. And it snaps me out of that funk. Um, because she reminds me of who God is. She reminds me it's not based on me doing enough good stuff. It's because God is good. Cry out to him. Shift your focus to the truth. If you don't know truth, learn more truth. Keep learning more truth. Put people around you that know truth, that will speak truth to you so that you can focus on the truth. Run to him as your refuge. We want to be here for you as leaders. We want to be people that you can come to, that you feel safe with, that you can speak anything about what's going on in your life and that you would feel safe with us. But ultimately, even in that, that our goal is to point you to your ultimate refuge that is Christ. Because he's the one you can run to no matter what time of day, no matter what situation, no matter what, and he will never let you down. We as leaders will let you down. There's going to be one time that we're not there, or if we are there, we don't say the right thing. Or we do something stupid in our own lives, and you see it, and it's not a good example. We're going to let you down. Your parents are going to let you down. Your friends are going to let you down. But we have a refuge that withstands everything, and so we will point you to that constantly. That even when I let you down, that I can point you to that. As a father, like I was super intimidated at first because I thought like, man, I got to be all these things to these kids. And then the more and more kids I have, I'm like, the more and more opportunities I have to screw things up. And then I, like, I realized early on, thankfully, that my main role as a dad is to point them to the ultimate refuge in their life. And so even when I screw up, I can still win because I can show them, like, hey, daddy's not enough for you. You need Jesus. And I give them plenty of examples, and I give my wife plenty of examples of why I'm not enough. And so even in that, I'm winning. I'm not going to be enough for them, so I can point them to something that is going to be enough, someone that is going to be enough every time. And so when I, my kids leave my house, I hope, that's, I hope that's the one takeaway that they have, is that Jesus, that God himself is always enough for them. Run to him as your refuge, and then thank him and praise him, like thank him for stuff that he does. Praise him for showing up and for making things happen. It'll make your heart that much better when you just are thankful for things. I'm just thankful for David that he wrote down these thoughts that makes me feel way more human that I can have these things that, uh, these same kind of feelings. I can be really frustrated, I can be really angry, uh, and God's big enough to handle those things. And he actually wants to use that. Uh, So in your groups this year, just remember like, We're here for you. We want this to be a refuge for you. We want you to see this as a place that you can come, whether it's here at the church or in the homes when we're in groups, that you can just, like, breathe a sigh of relief every time that you come here because you know, like, no matter what's been going on in your life, no matter what's been going on at school, like, you can always just relax here and feel secure. But that all that really stems from and comes from our security in Christ our security in Christ as your leaders, that we don't have to be everything for you because we're not going to be. 
that you don't have to pretend like you have it all together because nobody has it together? That you don't have to act like things are okay when they're not okay? And so use that. Use this as a place where you can be you and we can all push each other to run to a refuge that is solid, that is Jesus, that is always there. We need that because immediately when you leave this place, immediately, sometimes in this place, you will be thrown lies your way more and more and more like with the second you leave this place, that you're not enough, that you don't measure up to everybody else around you, and all these other lies that you aren't significant and God doesn't love you and he's not actually in control. And we need each other to remind each other that God is good, that he does love us, that he is enough, that he can get us through these things that we face and we can face them together and ultimately with him as we run to him together, like huddled in that same refuge together. That's a cool cool picture. Let's all just run to the refuge together, just hang out in there and party, uh, knowing that we're safe and secure. Uh, So tonight and and, and this semester, like we'll have a few songs here at the end. Uh, We wanna use this space as we sing a few more songs. Like if you need a leader to pray with you, if you need another student to pray with you, like. Take that time to reflect on all of that. There's stuff going on in your life. Just pull a leader aside, pull a friend aside, and just pray together. Like, we want you to feel freedom to have that space. Um, so we'll sing a few songs, and you sh- still have a few minutes to kind of hang out here around church until your parents come to pick you up. But um, know that I love you, that your leaders love you, that we're here for you, uh, and we want you to feel secure in this place, but even more so, we want you to feel secure in Christ. 